Welcome everybody to another episode of the Advisor Arena podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Malm, and my goal each episode is to bring you fresh ideas, a new perspective, innovative practices from some of the most successful financial advisors in our industry. So thanks for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome everybody. This is Jamie Malm, the host of the Advisor Arena podcast, and I want to welcome my guest today, Rita Ernst from Ignite Your Extraordinary. Rita is the CEO and coach of Ignite Your Extraordinary. She has a master's degree in industrial and organizational psychology, and she spent more than 25 years coaching across seven different industries. So Rita, I'm so excited to pick your brain a little today on the behavior of people and how that's relating to the success of our business. So welcome. Thank you, Jamie. I am super excited to be with you today. There are a ton of topics I feel like we could have zeroed in on today, but one word that really jumps out at me for 2020 is change. And no one really likes change, of course. Um, You have a visual you provide of having this goal to climb a hill in front of you, but you have a rubber band around your waist and this huge boulder at your starting point. Tell me more about how you see this visual with change. Well, I, I have spent most of my career working in one way or another with change. And so um, I'm glad this is uh, where you want to start our conversation because I think it's, it's a very powerful idea. So um, when, when we think about change, um, we are ingrained as human beings to want to stay in our comfort zone. It's what we know. We like to be right. We like to be able to, um, anticipate and, and, and expect what things are going to be like, how they're going to turn out. So um, our lives are in many respects like a recipe that we just, we just follow along. And, you know, if you measure everything out appropriately and you mix it together and put up the right temperature in the oven, you're going to get the perfect cupcake every time, right? And um, so when change comes along and we have to alter our view of our reality, we are designed as human beings to struggle with that. It's just part of the psychology of being human. And so this idea of the rock and the rubber band is that, you know, that rock represents what, where you are now and what you know and where your comfort zone is. And every step that you take away from that rock, as you try to move forward, the rubber band is the tension that builds. So that the further and further you get, the stronger that tension is. And most of us, that tension becomes so uncomfortable that we will snap back to where we were before. If we're trying to change habits, if we're trying to do, you know, something differently in our personal lives, you can probably think of a thousand examples of of how you wanted to start a new exercise routine or um, you were going to eat healthier or whatever it might be. And you've hit that moment where the rubber band snaps back and you, you fall back into your old patterns of behavior. And, um, and that has so much to do with our psychology and our mindset. And, and it's um, so ingrained in who we are from such a young age that we don't really um, come equipped with tools to examine that mindset and test that mindset and shift that mindset. We have to work on those things. Yeah, I think that you can see it playing out right with this health pandemic. And so many people that I'm having discussions with are tired. They're growing weary. They're 
ready to get back to doing the things that they've always done the way that they've always done them. And the reality is that may not be happening anytime soon or if ever. And the only way through that is really with this mind shift change. So where do we even start if, if we're feeling like we're stuck and we just can't keep pulling that boulder uphill? Where do you suggest we even start with that mind shift change? Well, there are, there are a couple of, of things that we, that as a, as a change professional in corporations, um, like I said, I've spent many, many years. Um, I spent the first 15 years of my work life inside of corporations working in change management and, and we used to say people change for one of two reasons. Um, the easiest way to make a change is called the burning platform change. And it's like, you've got to change because it's on fire, right? <laughs> you can't just stay where you are or you're going to go up in flames. And in many ways, when the government put all of these restrictions in place, they set the platform on fire, mm-hmm. right? So um, people adopted new behaviors very quickly uh, in order to have things in their lives that mattered to them. So let's take a really simple example, um, video chat. Um, there are older Americans who would have never, like my parents, who have never agreed to do a video chat that had to do video chat because it was the only way to, to actually get to see somebody, not just hear their voice, but to see them. We started conducting our business more on virtual forms. We started working remotely and collaborating through new collaboration tools that have been available in the past, but we have been reticent to change the way we operate. We stuck with our norm. We stuck with our rock, right? And, and certain people would try to go upstream and they would get a lot of resistance on that rubber band and you can only go so far. But the burning platform says that you make um, instantaneous change because you have no other choice around you. And we definitely had some moments in the pandemic for people when, when that was the case. The other main reason that people change is because they have a vision for themselves and their future that is so compelling that it breaks the rubber band. You know, the tension is there to, to drift back, but, you know, what they want that's out in front of them, that is so powerfully attractive that they are willing to let go of, of, their, of their past and of their comfort zone in order to achieve that. And, and as you can imagine, that is a more difficult change because it is, more, it, it is, it is a, a more mental change because you, you know you have that option to go back and you're choosing to keep moving forward. Whereas in the burning platform idea, you don't have that choice to go back. Yeah, I think I think we probably have a lot of people listening that can relate to the burning platform. You know, for financial advisors, we've suddenly found ourselves unable to hold in-person marketing events, no more dinner seminars, you know, no face-to-face events. We couldn't do our client appreciation events and all the things that we feel like, well, this is what I've always done. This is what of what has always worked. And I know you've explained being stuck as letting fear or uncomfortableness stop you from implementing changes that are necessary to reach customers where they, where they are right now. 
I mean, I can't think of a better example than, you know, anything that would be more applicable than the time that we're in right now. That's yes, the burning platform, I, right? We just don't have a choice. We don't. And, 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 you know, as with any change, you have the early adopters who, you know, jump right on the change and they're, they're out in the front and they are leading the way. And you have the resistors who, to their dying breath, <laughs> will try so hard to hang on to their comfort zone. And, you know, even if it, if it means that they go out of business. Right. right. They they will allow that to happen. And then you have everybody in the middle trying to move through the change and, and you till you get to that tipping point. I don't know if you remember the, the book. Um I'm not gonna think of the author right now. Uh oh, that makes me sad. I can't think of his name. You'll but probably he wrote think about of it if you're, if you're like me, you'll think of it as soon as we get done. But okay, so yeah, I wanna I'll get I my ask you driving. something here. Um uh-huh. tell me how we get stuck in our own perspective then, because you can't, I can't imagine that the late adopters or the non adopters are thinking, I'm going to dig my heels in until I just run myself out of business. How do we get stuck in our own perspective and not see our way out or not seek a way out? How do people get stuck in that? Well, at the risk of getting a little political, so pull me back if I go too far down the rabbit hole, but you're, if you, if your Facebook feed is anything like my Facebook feed, Jamie, uh, on my personal, not my business page, but on my personal page, there are tons of people who have all these conspiracy theories, right? About COVID-19 isn't really real. This, you know, the government's just trying to control us. This, this, the risk isn't really as big as everybody's saying it is. You know, this is, this is just big brother trying to, to enact something, some other, subverted thing that they want to accomplish in the guise of a pandemic. So, so that is an example of how people get trapped in their perspective and how they get stuck in that group of people that will never change because they go to a, 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 a definition of what is happening around them in their own mind that allows them to be okay with not doing anything differently. I think the way that I've heard it explained now that you say that on both sides, if we want to say politically, you know, either way, we look for things that reinforce our existing beliefs, right? So we're trying to discard, we're trying to discard the things that go against the things we already believe. And we are actively seeking out whether we know it or not subconsciously, whatever side we're on, we're looking for the things that solidify our existing beliefs instead of well, how could I see my way out of this? So I, I wrote one of a, a blog I wrote like, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago was um, how your brain is, is lying to you because our brains do lie to us. We, again, we are wired to do this. Exactly what you said. We are wired to look for information that confirms our assumptions and beliefs about mm-hmm. the world. It's just you around us. It it, it, it it totally is. And you really have to push yourself into a different place. And, but that's that, it, and it's a loop, right? So um, this is, this is my favorite explanation for people that are like, I'm not sure if I believe that, is this explains why you can go into a meeting at your office of all personnel and the meeting happens and you walk out of the room and the water cooler conversation 
different and it's like three different meetings happen. Right. Well, I think right? we've all experienced like the message that. <laughs> you walked away with is not the message that John over there walked away with. And Susan over there it heard something completely different. Right. So you were all exposed to the same data, the same information, the same messaging. But because of this loop that we're in where we, we collect the data that matches our view of the world, our perspective, Susan had one message, John had another message, and I, Rita, had a different message. So I, I want to circle of- back to this. I want to come back to it. I don't want to go too much on that right now. But safe to say, then, part of the value in a business coach or, or just somebody that you can get new perspectives from is to kind of get outside that comfort zone and see other opportunities that your brain may be tricking you into missing. Exactly. Exactly. Because as you, as you said, when you were teeing this up, it's so subconscious, we don't realize we're doing it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so because, because of that, we might miss just small questions that we can ask ourselves that would shift our point of view. You know, one of the, one of the most effective tools that I have in my coaching toolkit is to simply have somebody describe the situation and then help them just tilt the angle on the situation slightly by asking a question and looking at it from a slightly different perspective and then take it, you know, tilt it again and tilt it again. Right. Well, and that's a psychology thing, right? But if you look at people that are in the financial services industry, there's absolutely a psychological component to that. I mean, I just did, um, a podcast interview on emotional intelligence and you can't be in the business of working with people and relating with people and not have your thumb on that. I mean, if you're missing why people behave the way that they do and how to get them to look at things from a different angle, that's what financial advisors should be doing with their clients. So I, I hope what you're saying is really resonating with folks, but I I want to expand on this a little bit. Something on your site actually caught my attention recently, which was what sparked me to reach back out to you. Uh, So you and I met, gosh, it's been maybe more than a year ago at the WIFS conference in Louisville, which is the Women in Financial Services Conference. I was so impressed with your booth. I love what you do for women, but your coaching isn't just for women. It's it's for men, too. And you have a program devoted to moving from this survive mindset into a thrive mindset. And I thought that has got to be something I've got to pick her brain a little bit right now, because I think we all feel like we're in survival mode a little bit. You know, we're, we yeah. have that need to feel safe and secure. How do we shift from this? You know, we're starting to open back up, you know, things look a little bit different. We don't want to pull that boulder. We want to snap back and do things that we've always done. But how do we shift from the survival mode and go into a mode of thriving? The work is about mindset. Full stop. The, the, that, that pivot from survive to thrive, it starts with working on your mindset and how you see the world. And so um, let me just give you the quick contrast. So if you're operating in a survival mindset, you might recognize these things about yourself. You're operating from a place of fear. You're letting fear dictate the terms and conditions of the world around you. Um, You're experiencing a cycle of diminishing returns. 
um, you are not feeling the same joy and motivation that you once felt in your work. Um, you are operating from the rules of scarcity. I got to get my share. There's just not enough out there. How do I get my share? Um, and um, for most people, instead of running their business, they feel like they're being run by their business. Mm -hmm. um, as, as one um, gentleman that I, I recently interviewed for a project said, he said, I, I, I owned a job. I didn't own a company. I owned a job. Right. Those are all examples of survival mode. Um, when we choose safety and security, we give up power. You cannot have power and choose safety and security. Okay, say that again. Really, I think I think that's key right there. When you choose safety and security, you give up power. You give up power. Power to do what? Power to do whatever you want to do. Power requires you to be willing to take risk. Mm. Right? You can't you can't say I'm gonna be I'm gonna take the world, but I'm not gonna do this and I'm not gonna do this and I'm not gonna do this. You know, when you start putting all these conditions, you're putting limitations on yourself. Yes. You know, anytime you're choosing safety and security, you're putting limitations in place. And some of those are good limitations to have. I'm not saying that, you know, <laughs> we should abandon <laughs> all semblance of order and reason, but you have to recognize when you are sacrificing your ability to create the future you want to have this safety and security around something else. And you're they, saying they, some of the things that we should initially look for, are we letting fear dictate the terms of that? Are we stuck yes. in this cycle of diminishing returns and um, is my motivation and my joy suffering? Am I worried about how I'm going to get my piece of the pie? Those would all be things that if we step back and say, how am I really feeling? Then that's a pretty good ind indicator. I'm living in a survival mindset, not a thrive mindset. Correct. So let's look at the pivot. So what does a thrive mindset look like? Well, first of all, front and center is that belief that I can create the future that I want. And so there's joy and abundance in that thinking. You know, there, so in Louisville, there are tons and tons of financial planners, for example. So you have this whole question, right, of how do I compete with all of these other people? How, how, do I, how do I get my voice heard? How do I get clients want to come to me versus go to someone else? But there's also a mindset that says, if we can make, which is the WIFS mindset, by the way, if we can make um, this an abundant the economics, an abundance conversation in, in Louisville where people care and believe that they can manage their money and that they can, can have the, the future that they want and they can plan for that. There'll be more than enough work. Like, there'll, be, there'll be so many clients. I won't be struggling at all. So if I help build the conditions, right, that create the marketplace, um, I will share in the abundance of what I'm creating. So that's an example of a thrive mindset. Um, you, you, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I love that. And I think living, you know, from this scarcity versus abundant perspective is one that we don't even realize we do, you know, unless somebody is really bringing it to our attention. I, I don't recognize when I'm doing it all the time and it can really shift the mindset and then your next steps moving forward and how you, you know, it's how you relate to everything in your business when you make that shift. 
It's so powerful. Yes. Yes, it, it absolutely is. I, I, a long time ago in my career, I worked in pharmaceuticals and I w- was working in the R and D division and I, um, they were bringing celecoxib. I don't know. It's a, was the, it was the first of its kind drug coming in the market. And there was this pivotal moment where we're, we're running neck and neck with a competitor drug of who's going to be first to market. And in pharmaceuticals, you have to be number one or number two, or you can't really make any money. It, you know, it's the, the, the it, you, you got to be first to market, get that patent in there and, and you own the marketplace. Right. So <laughs> it's the very definition of scarcity and abundance. And so there was this moment where we were neck and neck and there was this interesting conversation about, do we form a partnership and a collaboration with this other company and bring a drug to market t- together? And the decision was, no, we're going to win this race. We're going to get our, our drug to market first. And it, as, as an organizational psychologist, there was sort of a sad moment there for me because, you know, I had this question on my mind of could something better be created if that collaboration were allowed to happen? Right. Sure. Um, but, but, you know, it could have been a huge fiasco too, because when you bring cultures together, sometimes you, you know, it, you, you get nothing but trouble <laughs> from that. But it was an interesting moment to say, but I think there is that place, especially in industries like insurance and financial planning where all boats can rise together. Agreed. And that is a thrive mindset, right? Agreed. Where you don't have to, you don't have to see everything as neck and neck competition. I, and who's going to dominate. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's, we could talk a, a whole show on just that mindset, but I, I do agree. Those that are most successful, when you ask them about their success, they all have this attitude of abundance. Nobody is worried about their competitors across the street or, you know, the others that are doing the same types of marketing. It's just, it, it's something that will really stand out if you ever have a chance to talk to multiple people that are uber successful in their industries. It's one thing I've really noticed over the years is their attitude of abundance. So maybe a, a bigger topic for another time. But I, I do want to circle back to Ignite Your Extraordinary. Tell me, okay. tell me what that name means to you. Tell me a little bit about the actual coaching program itself. So um, when I set up my business, um, I knew I had spent the early part of my career in um, moving businesses offshore, downsizing workforces, um, doing all kinds of, of process intervention and stuff, trying to you know get every penny out of every process that you could to make the numbers. And it was a really kind of negative space to play in. So I knew that I wanted to work with businesses that were growing, that were vibrant. I, I didn't want to be a part of helping um, businesses who are struggling, struggle less necessarily. I wanted to find those businesses that were really on, on the growth path, doing something exciting and just helping them catapult to that next level. And so that's where I got focused on this idea of extraordinary in, in my name. And extraordinary doesn't mean that you're, that you're 
dominant or number one in your market to me. Um, extraordinary is, is this internal space that we can claim where we are operating at our personal best. And in doing so, we are bringing into the marketplace for our customers and our clients the very best things that we can. And, and I think everybody has that capability. And so um, extraordinary is sort of that, that learning place of just saying, how do, I, how do I keep growing my personal capacity to, to do my best work, to have the most impact for my customers and my clients, to give them the best, the richest experience that I can and still make the money that I want to make and have the life that I want to have. Um, you know, for some businesses, um, I, I'm, I'm working with actually a financial planner right now, and we were talking about um, her growth plans over the next 10 years and what that would look like. And she said, well, you know, I could find 10 clients that, that have this level of book of business with me, but then I think about what what would that require of me and would, would I have the, the personal life that I want to have or would I be committing myself to, to a, a work grind that isn't really going to be fulfilling for me? Mm-hmm. And so we stepped back and we talked more holistically about what a success for her business look like and what is that ideal client and what does that work like? It's not just about hitting a number. There are lots of ways to hit the number and there are, you know, different implications of, of those paths that you choose. And it was a really great, so that's her defining her, her extraordinary. She knows where she wants to be when she's ready to retire and sell her book of business. But she also knows who she wants to be. It's as that, she's doing work, that work life balance and having that holistic approach to your goals. And too often, I think, if you're working with somebody in your industry all the time, you just get focused on the numbers and the goals and what that business looks like. But you forget how important it is that these are our lives, right? This is we have to yes. make this joyful and we have to make it not feel like a grindy job every day. It's got to be something we enjoy or it won't be something that we we will want to sustain. And we, yeah, we I, can't I love have that, that thrive mindset. I love that saying, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you, you can have financial success and never work a day in your life if you, if you look at it from, you know, from, from that perspective. And I, and I am definitely one of those um, folks that I, I, I shy away from the terminology of work-life balance because it's, it's only one life, right? True. It, it, it is about that holistic integration of all areas of your life to create your joy and your happiness in the, in the life that you have. Yeah, Um, you're right. And I've heard that explained. I think I just, I, I fall on old habits, but I've heard that explained that way too, where it's not balancing your work and then your real life. Your work is, is your real life. And gosh, how painful would it be to set aside so much time and be like, well, that's my work. So I've got to hunker down and, you know, really grind that out, but then I can go enjoy my life. The whole goal is to not have that mindset, to have that holistic and thriving approach. So I, I love that. How, if somebody wants to get started with you or wants to have an initial consultation with you, where do they find you? How do they get started? My website is the best place to find me. It's igniteextraordinary.com. 
and um, I am extremely transparent in my process. Um, there, there are some values that are really important to me that guide my decisions about how I run my business. One of those is that the client is in control. So I, I try to have my website designed with tools and information that put you in control as, as a client and um, transparency. So on my website, I offer anyone a free initial coaching session. Um, it's, a, it's about 80 minutes. If you can give that much time and duration, that gives us some time to just get to know one another on a personal level and then a good solid um, 45, 50 minutes to really get into what you are trying to accomplish with your business, what brings you to the place where you are thinking about um, using a business coach and how, what, what support you would be looking for in a coaching relationship. And then some time for me to sort of reflect back and, and talk about next steps and process so that we're not rushed and I, there's nothing I hate more than being in the middle of a really great conversation and, and having the timer go off and it's like, oh, I got to go to the next meeting. So I try to give plenty of time for that because it's very important. A coaching relationship is extremely personal. If you don't have the trust and you don't have the um, confidence in the person that you are hiring as a coach, it's not going to be an effective relationship. So it's very important before anybody signs a contract with me that they have had an experience with me where they feel confident about who I am. And I want to know what they, what they want to accomplish because there are some things that other coaches would be better suited to guide them on. And I can refer them to another coach if I think that there's somebody else. In fact, I, I did this not too long ago with an insurance agent. She wanted to work on some sales stuff. And I said, well, here's some of the basic stuff that I do around sales, but I'm not a designated sales coach, but I know one. So here's what I want to do. I want to hook you up with her. I want you to do your free initial conversation with her, see what she's about, and then you can decide what you think is a better fit for you. If that's me, I'm happy to work with you. But if she's really got what you need, you should go work with her. So, you know, so that, that free coaching session, I really emphasize to anybody that comes to me, let's start there um, so that we can really make sure that we are making a decision that's right for both of us. And um, you can, there's tons of places on my website where you can schedule for that free um, conversation. Um, but you can also find me on social media at Ignite Extraordinary is my handle on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. You can find me all those locations. I think that free consultation has got to just be a no brainer. I mean, for anybody that is listening to this, if you don't take Rita up on that, I can't tell you the value that we get from our business coaches, from the other agents that have outside business coaches. It's something that we believe so strongly and we've started subsidizing the cost of outside programs the last couple of years because everybody needs a fresh perspective sometimes and you need somebody that will give you that designated time to really dig in on what are you specifically trying to accomplish. And my goodness, I don't know that there's ever been a time in any of our lives where things have felt probably so up in the air where we needed time to regroup and say, how do I want my life, my work, my career, everything to look moving forward? 
So I'm excited, Rita, for them to be able to find you. I'm going to link um, how to contact you here in the show notes. And if anybody wants to reach out to me directly, you're always welcome to do that. But Rita, thank you so much. It was great to have you on today. Well, thank you, Jamie. It's wonderful to be with you. And I will just reinforce what you said in that the number one most consistent piece of feedback I get from my clients is that in engaging with me as a coach, they are committing time into their schedule to work on themselves and their business. And they love that because in the absence of that commitment to me, to that coaching time with me, it always falls to the bottom of their to-do list. And now they are giving themselves permission to put it at the top of the list and, and to commit the time to it. We always put ourselves last. This is a chance to put yourself first. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you, Rita. It's so important. I appreciate your time today. All right. Thank you, Jamie. Have a great day. You too.